ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women, non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, welcome to Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast. My name is Damien B. Donnelly and I'm the host and producer of this show and delighted you have joined us here today, tonight or tomorrow on Spotify, Apple, Anchor, Google, Breaker, Podbean, Player FM, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocketcast, Castbox, Podcast Addicts or iTunes. Today we are having a very special episode here at Storms dedicated to the art of conversation in poetry or more precisely the art of conversational poetry pamphlets. Tomorrow sees the launch of the latest conversational poetry pamphlet called In the Jitterfritz of Neon and this pamphlet published by the Hedgehog Poetry Press is the work of co-authors Eileen Dupuyer and myself. So I thought, as we are on the eve of launching our own collection about nights out on the town, memories that became poems that we shared with each other over Zoom sessions and glasses of wine when we were very clearly locked in, that what better way to celebrate than to feature fellow poets who have also published conversational pamphlets. So today on the show we have 10 poets, including myself, with five conversational poetry pamphlets to explore. So welcome to Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast and the art of conversation in poetry. I hope you enjoy the show. First up on the show today, we have the conversational poetry pamphlet Aloneness is a Many-Headed Bird, which was published in 2020 by the Hedgehog Poetry Press and is by Rosie Jackson and Dawn Gorman. Dawn is an award-winning poet, creative writing tutor and mentor. She presents the Poetry Place monthly radio show on West Wilkes Radio and also runs the poetry reading series Words and Ears in Bradford on Avon. A frequent collaborator, her work has been turned into a symphony, films, porcelain artworks and dance and she has four collections to her name including Aloneness is a Many-Headed Bird and The Meeting of Tricks. Her fellow collaborator Rosie Jackson has a background in teaching and has run workshops in writing in universities, communities and healthcare settings. She has won many prizes for her poetry, including the first prize in the Tigemount in 2021, Poetry Space in 2019 and the Stanley Spencer Prize in 2017. Her publications include The Light Box, The Glass Mother, A Memoir and Light Makes It Easy. This is not her first collaboration on a pamphlet as she has formerly worked with Graeme Burchill on the collection Two Girls in a Beehive, poems about Stanley Spencer and Hilda Carline. So now, sharing their work from their conversational poetry pamphlet, Aloneness is a Many-Headed Bird, this is Rosie Jackson and Dawn Gorman. Hello, I'm Rosie Jackson, a poet recently moved to Devon from Somerset. I enjoy collaborative work, one of my collections about the artist Stanley Spencer and his first wife, Hilda Carline, was written jointly with the late Graham Birchall. So when I saw Hedgehog Press were inviting poets to write a dialogue together, I approached Dawn Gorman, whose poetry I knew well, and who I knew also enjoyed collaborative work. We started a conversation in poetry, sending each other pieces by email, 
later editing and sequencing them until we had the required 20 poems, and we were delighted when Aloneness is a Many-Headed Bird, Dawn's wonderful title, won the hedgehog competition. I'm going to read two of my poems here. The first, What Is It Makes a Man, picks up on themes of gender that we were starting to explore, though the collection as a whole expanded from initial reflections on personal relationships and history into questions about the choices we make, mortality and the life of the spirit. What is it makes a man? When I meet a man these days, I no longer ask the old ritual question, and what do you do? But who are you? I want to know what kind of vessel he's become, how he lives in a body that must be lost. Not that I'll ever know long-term coupling now, like one of those 1940s film scenes of a pair in a train carriage as vistas of exotic landscapes are pulled across the window behind them. I have spent too many years being driven into sidings. That last marriage especially, strong man, house in the country, redemption song, how quickly it went wrong. Bullying, covert abuse, the whole thing a grand illusion that took longer to get over than the time it lasted. We fought over the silliest things. I remember he used to refuse to remove his huge watch in bed said he felt naked without it. I said it symbolised his attachment to power. I thought about that today when I read about sworn virgins of Albania, women who've renounced sex, stepped out of their gender so they can live as men do, inherit property, smoke, wear watches. Sex probably is worth renouncing for some things but to be able to tell the time. In the middle of the poetry exchange with Dawn, one of my friends, who was also one of my writing students, shockingly and unexpectedly died, and I wrote this next poem. I hadn't particularly planned to write about death, but it became one of the themes, our inevitable passing, and how we respond to it. The light we can't see. My friend Linda, a poet, died unexpectedly this week. She was ten years younger than me. I keep seeing her that afternoon at one of my classes when a mallard had wandered onto my back lawn. God knows why. Linda was the one who knew how to approach it, talk to it, coax it into a box and take it home to her pond. She was practical like that. The shock of mortality changes things, makes them clearer, scissors black silhouettes against sunlight like a daguerreotype. For years, I wanted to be like a man, to put my feet under their privileged table. Now I'm happy to not belong, to spend my time wresting mercy from its opposite, beauty from mud. And grit. I don't care anymore who wears the medals or feathers. I'm just thankful to have arrived at the harvest of myself, to have come through, able to look back on all the wounding as someone trying to stab water. And when I think of Linda, 
I can't help catching some exuberance, as if death is the same kind of excitement that comes each morning when darkness lifts. That simple happiness. Thank you, Rosie. And hello, I'm Dawn Gorman. You know, listening to those poems again makes me realise that without any structured intent, what Rosie and I were trying to root out in our poetry conversation was ways to find that simple happiness she mentions in that last poem. The way our collaboration took shape as a rapid-fire sequence of emailed poems in response to the others was more like exchanging letters than writing poetry – So you get a real sense of a frank and intimate exchange of ideas and memories between two women, as well as a response to events that were happening at the time. Here, for instance, prompted by a poem of Rosie's about death, are some of my thoughts about the press, a world I was part of for many years. Hard News After Roger's funeral... The old team gathers at some pub near the creme for dried-up cucumber sandwiches, mushroom quiche and the chance to gauge each other's success. Sarah, who now holds the fort, tells me I'm a lovey now because I write poems, not hard news. And I just smile because we both know it took two years for her to twig that I spent lunchtimes in bed with the editor. News. I remember the glee in Rachel's eyes, how she clapped her hands, said, Good story, when a fatal came in, car crash, local lad. The words stuck somewhere between my stomach and lips. Heartless bitch. But listen, it was press day. We still needed a front page lead and she was doing her job. Twenty years on, Fresh deaths flutter in racks outside petrol stations. But to fuel the other in us, when people were mown down for their faith in Christchurch, the town's mayor, Leanne Dalziel, told reporters, the only way that communities can respond to the voice of hate is to come together in love, compassion and kindness. What would Roger say who loved to work in his garden, plant out seedlings, watch things grow. What would they all say once the story is over? I was doing some research into my family tree while Rosie and I were working on this sequence and this brought into sharp focus for me the passing on of the DNA baton, not just in my own family or even for humanity in general, but for all life here on our planet. I was reminded by something Rosie mentioned of a holiday I took with my son and daughter when they were children. So this next poem looks at a small event which both captures my fear of the possible dead end that all DNA replication might be facing as we teeter on environmental catastrophe and also, more positively, embraces one of those moments of that simple happiness. Midnight with the conservationists. On a beach in Cape Verde, a newly hatched loggerhead turtle, small as a spoon on my palm, swims the air with flippers. The moon calls it to the water. Its mother, long gone when it hatched, 
said nothing about predators, fish hooks. Didn't mention to her daughters it would be nearly 30 years before they came back to this beach to lay their own eggs. Nor that only one in a thousand would live that long. I tell my children what I can. We stoop together to release our turtles on the sand. Years later, they will tell me truths they think they have just invented. For now, I hold this moment. Small lives beginning a journey. And two moons. One, a beacon. The other, a glitter of fragments. Scattered on the sea. My next collaborators today on Eat the Storms for this special episode are the authors of The Still and Fleeting Fire, published by the Hedgehog Poetry Press just this year, Amina Alial and a former guest on Eat the Storms, Oz Hardwick. Amina is the author of the poetry collections The Ordinariness of Parrots from Stairwell Books and Season of Myths from Wordspace Indigo Dreams. Her work has appeared in many journals and magazines, including The House of the Forest from the Hedgehog Press, and she is the creative writing and English teacher at Leeds Trinity University. And together with Oz, they are the members of the group The Forgotten Works, performing music and poetry at festivals. Oz Hardwick. Her co-collaborator has so far published nine collections and chapbooks of poetry, most recently The Brilliant Wolf Planet with the Hedgehog Poetry Press and has had work featured in countless online and print journals and magazines. He's performed and held residencies in the UK, EU and Australia and is a professor of creative writing at Leeds Trinity University. So I am delighted to welcome back Oz and to welcome Amina for the first time performing pieces from their collection The Still and Fleeting Fire. This is Amina Alial and Oz Hardwick. Home is the place where dark is certified, stamped with more stars than we've yet named. Stars where even the most trusted guides have nothing to offer but their experience of having been lost a million times before. Here, our boots are heavy, heavy with classical heavy. illusions, our clothes inappropriate for our unreliable memories, and even our conception of darkness is untrustworthy beneath the freshly illuminated sun. Stairs. Stairs become slopes, slopes. with terraces that tack and track their zigzag route to blue. Up, up is the only up. word that makes sense, and we repeat up. it like a mantra until it becomes nothing but rhythmical sound. Up. up. And then nothing but circadian silence. Our self-appointed guide consults concordances and Google Maps, checks endnotes and suggests further reading, then offers us mint cake and spring water. 
There's a song. There's a song on the wind that pierces our insubstantial bodies, assuring us that home is where the heart never lies. And if we can just keep putting one foot in front of the other, we'll be dancing before we know it. We'll be dancing. We have sewn our own eyes shut, so we don't see the bags of provision going over the edge. Hordes of us lie, lie, bereaved of movement. We, they, lie, lie. in half-lit rows of beds, too dim to walk any more, calling out... Is this hell? Is this hell? Is this hell? Burdened, we climb the tiers. The giant sloth emboldens us to run, bearing leaden tons of gravity, away from the rising graphs, the ups and downs, the flat... flat. Flat, Flat lines. lines. Rats come out of the woodwork, but they don't carry plague, just the hope of a cleaner planet. So we race, staying in place like the Red Queen in this backward game of bones. Weeping floods the streets, makes it dangerous to pass. Half the roads are closed, the other half deserted. It's like house arrest. It's like house arrest, we, they say. It's lockdown. It's locking ourselves in with stitches we have applied ourselves so we don't see the bags of fertiliser thrown over the edge. We don't want our bodies morphed by way of experiment no. the way they do it in hell. No. We don't want to eat no. morphed grain. We would rather starve. We, they say. But the ones that don't say, just starve. Who is left to farm when all of us are lying, heavy with boulders, our eyes sewn shut with our own needles, pecking up grain and adding it to the hordes we cover with our own bodies, climbing the tears? Angels arrive, and we clap them, but we, they, don't pay for the service. Until further notice, citizens should stoop. They should walk in circles with their opportunities and achievements distributed evenly across their shoulders for all to see. For all to see. Those with sufficient voices should sing, sing. And all should wear white gloves to clarify gestures of superiority, surprise, supplication and the intrinsic sadness of the human lot. Tinted glasses may be worn, though corrective lenses are not permitted. Not, not permitted. And hearing trumpets may be utilised as long as all parties are in agreement. Parties and other intimations of community are forbidden. Other intimations of community? Forbidden. If animal familiars are unavoidable, lions may be employed, though they must be must. quarantined for an indeterminate period in order to prevent the spread of allegory. Prevent, prevent. In case of mirrors, darkness should be employed. All emergency services are sleeping and should not be disturbed until the last cat wails. All services are sleeping. When I come to the place that reminds me of home, there's nothing left of me but light and fingerprints. 
I know that I've crossed deserts and seas and I've slept beneath stars and gilded ceilings, but I had to leave the details and distinctions at the last border crossing when the guard told me sadly that even my empty bags were too heavy, heavy to pass. Heavy. I remember dragging my aching limbs up endless heavy. iron steps in order to see the ideal city pinned out below. But when I looked down, I was standing on a wooden stool in my parents' kitchen at the centre of a mandala of broken crockery. Likewise, I remember a guide in white robes and a laurel crown, a thin finger urging me into the labyrinth. Into the labyrinth. And I remember warm, loving breath in the bathroom of a hotel that was nothing but a film set or a pop-up theatre. A theatre. But when I blinked, I was on a double-decker bus, passing a garden centre, a sex shop and a crematorium. A garden centre. And behind me... A sex shop and a crematorium. Behind me, there is nothing but fingerprints and unreliable memories. In front of me is a door that changes, changes. colour changes in my colour. own flickering light. I lost my keys yes. or dropped them from the back of a cross-channel ferry and there's barely enough left of me to, to ring, ring the bell. To ring the bell. Curtains twitch like a glitch in an awkward call, but there's no shuffling on the white and laurel tiles. Listen to the thin air. Listen to, to the, the silence. 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 With no machines. Silence. In a lifetime, each person walks three One, times round the two, equator, my three. guide tells me. But my journey is my journal in these long, strange days. One tale, travel and travail. Trivial games, possibly, but then again, true. Foraging, farming, flattening, I can hear the treeish voice. I eat you, you as, as you, you eat, eat me. me. And I will find Easter eggs inside each leaf. Dandelion was not my cup of tea, but now even nettle is. And my salad is wild garlic and sorrel, but my own garden I have not kept. This does not matter. When we find ourselves slithering, slithering, slithering through, out of our depth, suddenly breathing, breathing. We can sit here a while, on this plateau, our new eyes splitting, Split. open to clusters of smooth colour thrusting out of wet brown leaves. The thin, clean air will fill with petrol fumes. We will not have time to sleep, as long-legged tasks race us to the edge. We will not enjoy the loss of threaded walks around our neighbourhood. Finding a tiny wooden hut in the bowl of a tree. Watching coots busy on water lily leaves. Seeing a squirrel skitter its way up a tree. Going outside at midnight and addressing the full wolf moon. So long since we arrived in that ship of fools, lit by the shine of an angel. Time has stretched like a womb. It will snap back and shrink. We will sew over it new tapestries till even the human skin is hid. 
Our next conversational pamphlet today to explore on the show is called Sherry and Sparky, again published by the Hedgehog Poetry Press and written by co-authors Maureen Cullen and no stranger to this podcast, Patricia M. Osborne. Maureen is a retired social worker and in 2015 gained an MA in creative writing from the Lancashire University where she studied poetry and short fiction. She has had work appear in many magazines including The Interpreter's House and Shooter and has been shortlisted for the Fish Short Story Prize and for the Bristol Short Story Prize. Patricia M. Osborne is a novelist, short story writer and the author of the poetry collections and pamphlets Taxis Bacata, The Montefiore Bride and The Upcoming Spirit Mother and very soon with Brian McManus, another conversational poetry pamphlet called Symbiosis. Today, Patricia will read for both herself and Maureen from their pamphlet, Sherry and Sparky. This is Patricia M. Osborne and the poems of Maureen Cullen. Thank you, Jamie, for inviting me to read from Sherry and Sparkly, a poetry conversation with Maureen Cullen, published by the Hedgehog Poetry Press. Maureen and I grew up hundreds of miles from each other in different countries of the UK but we found we shared common experiences of childhood in the 50s and 60s, such as ice lacing the inside bedroom window and corporal punishment in schools. Our poems in this conversation are about love, hope and identity. I begin with Maureen's sister song and then over to me with Three in a Bed and back to Maureen alternating throughout the few poems with me finishing on the final one which is snapshot memories from the 50s to the millennium. Sister Song by Maureen Cullen Wet Sunday afternoon, no pals coming out to play. We make do with one another, lie on our bellies under sheets, ghosting the gate leg table. Feral jumpers and satin scarves pegged together stretch over gaps in our sultan's tent. We feast on bourbons and cordial, whisper secrets, tell fairy tales, sweet black currant on our breath. We sing, find the flowers at the burn, pick a posy, each in turn. Forget me not, forget me not. We nap, laced together, heads dimpling the pillow. Your fingers unfurl in my palm. Rain plop plops on puddles as I curry down in our own wee hidey hole and promise I will forget you not. Three in a bed. Squashed between two sisters in a double bed, forced into the middle because I'm the skinniest. I close my eyes. Listen. The eldest sings us to sleep with a lullaby, roses and whisper. In the middle of the night, woken with an elbow in my face, I pray for a bed of my own. No brainer. It was a no-brainer when Lent came round to choose prayer over penance. 
comforts in short supply in a house where you relied on hot water bottles to survive the night, in rooms where you where windows frosted inside, where you followed the fog of your breath, misting ahead, and milk iced in the bottle on the step. And Mum's nappies grew stiff on the line. It was a no-brainer to flap the face cloth round the bowl, climb into your woolies, run out in the dark, eyeballs skewered to the searing cold. A no-brainer to skid down the street and sit in the warmth of St Mick's before the school bell rang, fall in with the rosary's refrain. Next door in the hall, butter melting on racks of hot toast and volunteers filling vats of tea. Isolated. I'm the new kid, invisible to the girls playing two balls and long ropes skipping on the playground. I wish I were back in Bolton sitting close to my carrot hair, Susan. At break time we'd wait by the locked gate for senior boys to pass us pear drops through the black railings. The bell on the puce wall vibrates. Children crowd into the building, laughing and chatting. I follow, shuffle round, back and forth. Late for class, past identical staircases, toilets, cloakrooms, coats, blue doors, yellow walls. I reach a post office light window, peep through the grill, holding back. Please, miss, I'm lost. Autumn Flower Girl. I rush to the window in a sweep of silk. My wedding nails tap the glass. The limousine door inches ajar. Her flower girl dress floats like a bell. She stops her skip down our path, turns and raises her eggshell face, waves her freesia posy in trust. The door continues its shimmering arc. White bowed pumps scamper past. Full of beginnings, she dips her head, scrambles in, is swallowed up, by a final swing of October gold. Nappy time. Sun heat dries the whites as they dance on the whirly gig, spinning in the breeze. I fold a triangle, slip the terry towel under wriggling limbs, wrap around, fasten. Screams from his cot urge me to run and check. Whew. Pin and skin intact. Heggie's building. Home was Heggie's building. Up a charcoal close with spiral stairs. Like at a witch's tale. Don't ask me who Heggie was. Some long de dead Glaswegian crook rubbing hands for rent. We slept in the one room. 
was bedlam with the wind greeting and dar snoring. And at night, boats bleating, bringing bells of this and that to Port Glasgow. And earlier, drunks toasting themselves like princes outside the country pub. I shut it out, holed up in my cabinet bed, living Sydney Carton's agonies. It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. Courtesy of the Lending Library. Five more adventures lying flat in the compartment over my head. And if I was lucky, sucking refreshes. Millennium. Ice inside my bedroom window vanished once central heating shot the mercury sky high. Black and white televisions with tiny screens projected Dalek terror. We crept in twos to the spooky backyard privy. Curled up on the floor in PJs, Mum brought us a cuppa while we witnessed Neil Armstrong bunny hop on the moon. Transmission terminated. Buzzing drilled my consciousness. We plugged in our first colour TV. Switched off the lights, rubbed hands, smiled, watched with wonder, hooked on Dallas and Dynasty. A red telephone box at the corner of our street, left stranded, desecrated, vandalised, replaced with a home phone at the spin of a dial. Mobiles to keep track of my young. Angst replaced these when offspring ignored ringtones. On the turn of the century, Big Ben chimed. We linked arms to sing Old Lang Syne. Chrysanthemums exploded in clouds, reflecting on the Thames. London Eye illuminated spectrums of light, welcoming the arrival of the millennium. Thank you. Cancer touches most of us in one form or another and it is for this reason that Maureen and I decided to donate all proceeds um, of copies, limited edition copies of Sherry and Sparkly um, to Cancer Research UK. If you like the sample of our poems, please consider purchasing a copy. Um, you can go to whitewingsbooks.com in the shop and um, It'll help our nominated charity. Once again, thank you, Damie, for this opportunity. And Maureen and I would like to congratulate you and Aileen on the publication of In the Jitterfist of Neon and wish you both lots of lovely sales. Thank you. My next guest on Eat the Storms today is the reason we are having this conversational special episode because she is my poetry sidekick with whom I wrote in the Jitterfritz of Neon. The name coming from a line from one of her poems, she being Eileen Dupuer, and I am delighted that for the first time on Eat the Storms, while putting the podcast together, we are actually recording this in the same room. 
And of course, when I say room, I mean Zoom room, because we are still in those days of social distancing. And what better way to record the reading of poems from our new pamphlet than on Zoom? Because this is basically how we put the pamphlet together last year while being locked down in our own separate houses. Eileen and myself, having seen the Hedgehog Poetry Press's announcement for a pamphlet competition, spent subsequent evenings together on Zoom with glasses of wine, sharing tales of our previous nights out that became this collection of poems. Memories of nights on the town before late bars and lock-ins were replaced by social distancing and lockdown. These were conversations and confessions that would have probably shared over dinners and various drinks in restaurants across Dublin when I moved back to Ireland with the intention of making Eileen my party buddy. But Covid changed all that. Eileen and I first met in Dublin around 2018 when fellow Irish poet Kevin Bateman invited us to both read in the Phoenix Park with five other poets including Catherine Ann Cullen and Jessica Trainer, former guests on the show. It was the first time Eileen and I had met and also the first time that either of us had read our poetry live. And I think that possibly in that shared moment of fear that our bond of friendship really began. So when I moved back to Ireland at the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020, our plans were to take Dublin by storm and go out on the town and make precious moments of each outing. But that isn't really what happened, is it, Eileen? I think we, we had about two, maybe three nights. Is that about it? <laughs> I think maybe three <laughs> maximum, <laughs> two and a half. Three maximum, which I remember fondly. But um, we'll get there again. We're we're on our way, um, in fact. I think we have another one planned soon. We're off to Belfast soon. Um, so And a road trip uh, to yeah, Belfast as well. A road trip to Belfast to launch the pamphlet <laughs> uh, with some friends, with, with Gaynor and Karen. So, yeah, listen, we'll have another night soon. But as you say, this, this pamphlet really um, was, um, I suppose, fond remembrances of nights that we haven't managed to have yet and have had on our own previous to this. So just musings about the importance of those kind of nights uh, in a life really you could you could underrate them but actually when we couldn't do them we all missed them didn't we so yeah um, that, that was the theme of the pamphlet and it came naturally out of our kind of shared interest in in kind of nightlife and just the kind of the free unencumbered adventures that can happen when when you when you you head out and don't have the plan so and in a strange way, it was also a really interesting way of beginning a friendship, of kind of getting to know each other. Like they're not exactly the tales that you would normally tell when you're getting to know each other, but somehow that, you know, they evolved well, these sort of little confessions. Because we didn't have the external stimuli. Like normally, I think we probably would have gone out in big gangs and, and yes. we wouldn't have got so much in-depth conversation, you know, because there's been more one-on-one uh, during COVID. So... I think yeah, that's it. We had to rely on our own, uh, our own excitement, make our own excitement from our own memories. So, yeah. Will I read a poem um, from the pamphlet? I Stay think I definitely. I think that's what our listeners are really excited about. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I'll read one that's called "Last Call," and then I think you have one that kind of has similar vibes. So yes, last call. The ammonia waft of laneways, tangs exotic in my throat. I let the pub door swing shut. Stop to watch the swans of water's edge arrange their necks for sleep. 
Judge the thinness of shoe soles, the thickness of dune air, the quicksand of memory, and the distance of cobbles between me and bed. Taxis will come when I click, fumble warmly across the bridge. I sip the glitter of the stippled lake, drain the summer's swollen dregs. I remember reading that and thinking, oh yeah, I can... We can, we can, I know something, I, I've had something similar. It was that sort of, it was those sensation, like those ammon- that ammonia scent and then that sort of, you know, creeping out of a bar or a club, sort of the end of the night, the beginning of dawn. and Yeah, I was disappearing without having said goodbye to everyone because yeah. I kind of had to hit a wall, you know, and you're kind of sneaking out. <laughs> Yeah. I think in ever is that called um, an Irish goodbye, an Irish exit? I think in France it was called a French exit. I think every country has an exit <laughs> like that that you slip out of. <laughs> it's the way to go anyway. Always leave a party when you're still having fun, I think. Exactly. Leave them wanting more. All right. So then my response to that is called Promises Made at Lombards. And this is set in the Duc de Lombards Club, which is a jazz club in Paris, which I frequented very often in the late 1990s when I first moved to Paris. So promises made at Lombards. That haunting. That dance. We brushed soft shoe against hard surface. The pre-millennium stream of slow smoke. Jazz notes under low lights down at Lombards with its wine by the bottle, so that we swayed to those notes too complicated to catch hold of. We were saxophones, playing pink elephants between the Duke's darkness and the white lights of the blinding dawn. Prisoners to the poison. We stepped across that floor, already haunted, devouring desire before it was kissed by the ghost we'd promised each other not to shake. Sometimes I miss those smoky days where you basically couldn't see a crowd, like all you could see were the notes, you couldn't even see anybody. Yeah, goosebumps there at the end. Oh, <laughs> Lots yeah. of desire in your poems, Damien, always. Yes, sometimes I, I try and control it. <laughs> Do you want to read another one? Why don't you read that the next one you have for Sonia? Go on, I, I will one. indeed. I wrote this. Uh, yeah, so Sonia is actually my cousin who came to visit me in Amsterdam once um, when I was living there. And uh, we had planned this fantastic weekend together. Um, didn't really pan out because neither of us were really used to smoking shall we say although we <laughs> we bought a cake and we shared the cake and uh, we lost the rest of the day let's say so we had one really good night out and that's this good night out and it's called the irregularity of all that is new for Sonia you haven't lived until you see how the other half live until you've fallen out of a gay bar of five floors at 5 a.m and climbed onto the back of your cousin's bike to careen across canals of consciousness you never considered, where eels sliver like snakes, like the strange straight men who sniffed you out in that gay bar, 
Although you're a girl and confused as to why a lech had climbed up to camp out, finding out how the other half moved, dancing on tabletops, shaking your Beyonce bits with topless boys and bottoms, bashing their guavas against grooves in a bar. On a street, not a single foreigner ever comes close to pronouncing the Reguliers Dvartstraat. In early morning Amsterdam, that regular cross street where you ran your fingers along the freedom of irregular tastes, the drunkenness of dawn, not yet crossed over into unconsciousness, the night before you both lost at being stoned. You, on the back of a bike, on the way to the pipe, and the stairs that lent like ladders to the stars. Your nose, touching the steps on front of you as you engulfed all that was new. You haven't lived until you can say you've seen how the other half simply lived. We never did make it to the Dylan that following night. I'm not surprised if your nose was touching the steps. <laughs> <laughs> I think our nose is touching more than just the there. steps. Oh my God, what a land. It's terrible to fall as an adult, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's in, yeah, and although it's funnier, you know, it's funnier later, yes, but... Um, yes. It's yeah. wild to get up there. <laughs> well, most definitely, most definitely. And of course, that was in, I think that whole poem was inspired by the last line of of your poem. That's two hens in a basket for my friend Lisa. Yes. But um, it is in the book if anybody wants to revisit it. <laughs> I thought we might we might finish up then, um, Damien, on the pamphlet tonight and, and make way for others by just, if, will I just read I Miss You? That's the poem that the title comes from. I think, yeah, I think definitely. And also it's best to leave them longing for more, no? Just like those nights out. <laughs> <But> hopefully. <laughs> and of course, we, we have our launch on YouTube at 7.30pm, don't we? Um, we do indeed. Sunday, night. 23rd of January, yeah. listeners, please tune in. We'll be reading another few there on Damien's YouTube channel. So, um, yeah, I miss you. This is sort of just before I start, kind of a love poem to Dublin, just by way of background, say this was the, written the first night I went out in 2020 when things had started opening up again. I had had a lovely weekend in Galway with my friend Martina in January of 2020, not long before COVID hit. And then she came back to visit me in July when things had started opening. But it was in that really cumbersome time before vaccinations mm -hmm. and um, we still had to they had limited times. I think it was 110 minutes in Dublin you were allowed, in Ireland you were allowed to spend. And so around 90 minutes the bill came and you were really spread out from everybody else. And it was, uh, we were we were exhausted as well because we hadn't been conversing with people. It was a really weird night. We both felt really kind of deflated thinking, is this what our city has come to, you know? But those first, you're right, like those first steps back out when we met people other than those that we'd been shacked up with during lockdown, they were extraordinary because you really had to relearn how to talk, how to converse, how to have energy to, to converse. Like it was exhausting. I remember yawning after like a half an hour in somebody's <laughs> company into their face. Um, I think Martina and I were falling asleep into our dinner even before the 110 minutes were up. Like, I thought, oh God, we'll never, we'll never go out again. But 
think we've learned we to have get hope. <laughs> we'll be all right. <laughs> anyway, I miss you. In the tumble of neglected streets, in the jitter fritz of neon, the silent rain of cobbles, in the shuttered shops, the echo of the busker's drum, the wind skipping cans and paper cups, in the necessary meals, the 90 minute bills, the empty tables in spaced out rooms. Wow. Eileen, thank you so much. It's really been such an honour. It's been such an enlightening period of friendship, but because from writing this book, just getting to know each other. And it's been uh, it's been fantastic because I've never wrote with anybody else. And it's always been such a sort of a private thing. And I remember thinking, oh, God, like I remember seeing the the competition for from the Hedgehog Poetry Press and thinking, oh, that would be fun to do with Eileen. But then thinking, oh, God, would you want to do it with me? You know, like, oh, my God. And I and and it turns out you were thinking the same thing. So well, it's worked out you, perfectly. You were so well connected. I thought, sure, I'd never asked Damien. He has a million and one people he could do this with. Um, but yeah, so I was delighted to get the email from you. Really, really delighted. Um, and it took the edge off for me because this is my first pamphlet. And I would have been afraid to do one, I think, myself. And I wouldn't have known what was involved. But because you're, you know, a little bit more experienced and have mm-hmm. one out before it means, you know, I can learn from you what's involved in terms of kind of, you know, set, setting up all the, um, just, you know, how, how to advertise it and how to do your launch and all the rest and linking with the publisher. So um, it's been brilliant intro for me. And thanks very much, Damien. Well, you're very welcome. And speaking of firsts, so while this is our first joint pamphlet, um, last year, in January, I published uh, the Hedgehog Poetry Press, published my Stickleback, which was a micro collection of poetry. And coincidentally, coming very soon from the Hedgehog Poetry Press, I believe is a Stickleback micro collection from yourself, Eileen Dupuyer, no? Yes, it was kind of a surprise. Mark Davidson sent me an email after just after we'd finished working on Jitterfits and he said, have you got four poems or four pages of poems you could send over to me for a Stickleback? I was delighted. I didn't have to even kind of prostitute myself to get it or anything. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And all those heels that you bought and those fancy boots and well, shoes, no, like, not needed. You know, my number, I've taken them all down now. I've realised if that's not how it works. So. <laughs> well, listen, yeah. I thought as you're here with me um, and it's the first anniversary of mine and it's practically the birth of yours. So how about we each read a poem from our sticklebacks? Absolutely. Yeah. Would you like to go first? Because I believe that even your poem from your stickleback relates almost to Jitter Fritz. I know. I'm like a, I, I'm returning to the old themes again. This is Not at all. Again. It's about nights out again. But anyway. So You're I just a party through. girl. Just a party girl. <laughs> Someday I'll grow up, Damien. <laughs> Never. Um, right. So this one is in my stickleback, which is called In Defence of Bin Wasps which I have my friend Amy Blyde thank for because we were workshopping a poem and uh, I had the word bin wasps in it and some of the people in the workshop thought it was rotten and wanted, to, wanted me to take it out and Amy said, in defence of bin wasps. We <gasps> <laughs> like that. I think the title <laughs> itself deserves, deserves an award. So this poem is called Restaurant Transylvania, Henrietta Place. There's a poem in the peeling paint, the disconnected neon but it isn't mine to write. I leave that to the owner 
who proudly hung the sign, cranked A5 pastel flyers through a photostat apparatus. To the kids from the flats he paid to hand them out to Saturday shoppers, to the chef who planned the menu, hand-selected ingredients from the Mary's Lane markets, to the students of law and engineering who made it their Thursday regular. I leave it to the couple who first met there, eyes colliding across the table at some 21st party, to the Goths who came mistakenly, expecting Draculian exotica, staying for sausage tohitura, to adventurous locals chasing tripe soup and lettuce with a crisp white from Constanza. Before fashions changed, the rent was raised, the key turned, paint bubbled, curled. If I, you are so welcome. I was just going to say, if I hadn't have had my dinner already, I think I would be back into the kitchen making more. That's left me very, very hungry. Congratulations. Thanks, Damien. Okay, I'm, I'm, as I said, it's a year since my stickleback came out. So I'm going to share the final poem from the stickleback. Unfortunately, mine are not about nights out, but I am going to share a poem about love and longing. So this poem is based on Marc Chagall's Le Paysage Bleu, and it's called Chagall Chivalry. Love is a red Russian rose on the run, a bouquet to brush the blues from their burdens. Hope is his hand on her head in the night, taking flight as that blue bird darkens. But her moon was in Pisces, and said to be expunged by her sensitive soul, while his hands still held her, his red Russian rose, and he painted her a song to perpetuate her soul. Her moon was in Pisces, and his heart in the bloom of her hand. Thank you very much from Eileen Dupur and myself, Damien B. Donnelly. My final guests on the show today are the authors of Glory Days, published in 2021 by Hen Run, Kelly Davis and Kerry Derbyshire, who I recently had the privilege of hearing and seeing read at Margaret Royal's online launch of Immersed in Blue. Kelly Davis is from London, studied at Oxford and now lives in West Cumbria. She's had work published in Mislexia, Magma, The Journal, Southlight and Shooter, to name but a few, won the Magma Subscribers Competition in 2018 and appears in the Best New British and Irish Poets 2019-2021 anthology from Black Spring Press. Her co-author, Kerry Derbyshire, is based in Cumbria also, and that is the place that gives root to most of her poetry, which you can read in the collections A Lift of Wings, which was published in 2014, Distant Sweet on My Tongue in 2018, and the pamphlet A Window of Passing Light in 2021. 
She's appeared in numerous anthologies and will have another collection of poetry coming in spring 2022 from the Hedgehog Poetry Press. Today, reading from Glory Days, their conversational poetry pamphlet, this is Kelly Davis and Kerry Derbyshire. Prospecting. In those heady gold rush days, we padded out our teenage bras, flocked to discos in slinky dresses, shimmied round our handbags, eyed up boys and snogged them in a brute and hormone haze. With clashing teeth, bruised lips and wandering tongues, we tried our first French kisses. That didn't feel right. How far should I let him go? The mysteries of zips. We gave each other tips to keep them keen. On the sticky dance floor, we kept on searching for a heart of gold. Come on, baby, light my fire, we mouthed, glued at the hips. When I hear Love Me Do, I'm on the edge of the assembly hall with Margaret, Nancy and Marion, expecting something more than a guitar lick at the school leavers' disco. A reflection kicks back. PVC miniskirt, purple tights, black polo sweater, bragging the quant look. Sassooned hair that took me hours. Vimto fizzes our tongues. We're mods, we eat twiglets, scan the floor for talent. The air is ozone, a storm is breaking, the beat spins in my head, a trapped bird whirling an exotic perfume that could be mine. I know who I am, I know. Dreams of romance ring the room like a thousand butterflies. I'm 15, I can dance, I'm flying without falling. The Girl Within The letters are in a box in the attic. She last looked at them many years ago. Yet they have left their imprint, their scent, of couplings in college rooms, on riverbanks. They are her last vice amid the minutiae of motherhood. Easy to dismiss their eager passion, easy to laugh at former lovers and her former self, yet the evidence is there. Once she was loved, not with the measured love that endures, but the gasping, choking love that stops the heart and stops the clock. She is content. She has a life that's rich and full. But that girl sleeps within. Her dreams can still be pierced. Before we were mothers, we lay in fields, scent of buttercups, campion blush, Warm as babies cradled in cow parsley, frail as grandmother's collars worn on Sundays. Ox eyes were full moons, and Astrius, god of dusk, smeared the sky like a raven, lowering into rivers and hedges of eglantine, before our skin turned sepia and freedom hid in drawers. The Change Lying like a starfish on a sweaty bed, 
toes reaching desperately for a patch of cool sheet, it comes to me that the long-awaited change is finally occurring. It's actually been sneaking up for quite a while. That sense of brittleness, the unfamiliar aches and pains, the last gasp sexual appetite. Maybe this is why so many women go slightly mad, have drastic plastic surgery, take young lovers. Nature urges us to spend the last sweetness of our bodies when the world just wishes we would go quietly. Can a woman go crazy after giving birth? The day I left her outside the chemist and walked back along the street and up the hill and through my door, it was raining. I was wearing my ankle-length laurel green mac. I loved that mac. Wasted, shiny, elegant, hiding my swollen stomach. I was about to make a cup of tea when I spotted her rattle on the sofa. All fires of hell swept through me. The shame of it. Is it possible to have forgetfulness on such a scale? I swung out, swept down the road, mac flapping like drowning hands, knowing nothing of the pavement or rain, imagining her alone, crying, gone. Shoppers had gathered, tut-tutting, unfit mother like gnats around a wound. And there, in her pram, safe as a dipper in a stream, my daughter, unaware of how close she was to belonging to someone else. Calling them in. Come home for your tea. We called them in as day fled and night ate our words. The sun had already set. Come home for your tea. Anxiety edged our voices and night ate our words. It was much too late. The sun had already set. Come home for your tea. Anxiety edged our voices. Imagined fears grew larger and night ate our words. They grew up so suddenly. Dusk took us by surprise. It was much too late. Come home for your tea. They could no longer hear us. The sun had already set, with darkness at its heels, and night ate our words. We were wasting our breath. It seems a moment ago, but it's twenty years or more. Somehow they gave us the slip. Time wouldn't wait. Did we suspect even then? Anxiety edged our voices. Perhaps we had a premonition. Imagined fears grew larger. We tried to call them home, and night ate our words. Flown. I catch myself, an intruder, Wanting to hear you sing, to touch the softest wings I've ever known. How quickly winter came, the last leaf fallen, air still as ice, 
in the half-light of your room, lingering on pop posters, photos, nail varnish, thumbed Snoopy and Baba books, straggling melamine shelves like last year's fur cones forecasting weather. Here, in the too silent silence of a moss-lined spring, fine-woven jumpers and dresses that kept you safe, hint of honeysuckle wrapped in scarves outgrown, those daisy curtains closed, you tucked in, begging me to read the snow goose, your eyes wide, the miles already flown. Not waking you, for mum at 80. I wanted to say goodbye before our long journey north, with you in your 80th year, each parting had become significant, but you'd taken a pill and I couldn't disturb the perfect arch of your cheekbones, your silver hair falling in waves, your skin luminous and smooth, glamorous even in repose, the gathered worry lines unstitched for once. Left unguarded, your face told your life story, the adored only child in the Orange Free State, the plump, dark-eyed Jewish schoolgirl in Durban, the wasp-waisted art student popping diet pills in Joburg, dedicated kibbutznik in the 50s, Hampstead party giver in the 60s, follower of crackpot gurus ever after. Homemaker, heartbreaker, warring spouse and loving wife, weaver, gardener, painter, campaigner, mother. My mother's house. The wooden rooms echoed every bare thing, neat squares of dirt, absence of mountains and moonlit lakes, silver framed, the weight of a beeswax sideboard embedded in the sailroom carpet I begged her to buy. That damp smell. Dogs she no longer recognised. Bedrooms hanging on to mumps, measles. Illness mended with teaspoons of malt and orange juice. Cobwebbed views to the river in all its moods. The cellar pump coughing up water from the well. The felt roof, leaking rain onto the piano, lid open, mum playing us through the worst winters, until her fingers could no longer span, and the octaves fell silent. Years, distilled into a last hour I held like best glass, touching every brailled wall, my mother's fury close as breath. Her sadness slipped to numb hands. A smile on the agent's face, measuring, calculating, a priceless thing. I picture what will be left. In your studio, the portraits of children and grandchildren, the watercolours of lilies and poinsettia, the smudged charcoal life drawings. In your kitchen, the dusty jars of spices, 
boxes of gluten-free this and low-cal that, three half-used bottles of agave nectar. In your study, the bulging folders, bursting drawers, several failed filing systems, so many attempts to get organised. In your bedroom, the coral necklaces, jade beads, the wardrobes full of low-cut silky tops, the racks of impractical high-heeled shoes. In my memory, the times we phoned each other, for no reason, just because one sensed the other's need. And in my mirror, the sweep of your fringe, the curve of your lips, passed from you to me, from me to my sons, down the generations, through a hall of mirrors, reflected and repeated, smaller, fainter, but still visible. In my mother's diary, identifying the stems, leaves and flowers is almost impossible. Lace to pale brown, brittle, flaked into autumn 1964. Looking for a meaning, careful not to break her days, their disarrangements pressed as far as October. I picture her clear as these blooms used to be. Harebell, clover, vetch, fern, edging old tracks, slow grazing flocks in dawn mist. She's striding out to catch the first scents brushed from overblown slopes, quietly slipping the morning into her rucksack like a map. She waits for sun to flint the pikes, fire bracken back to life, unwind slate roots through crags and gills, trying to make sense of it. In childish hope, I smell the frail reminders as if to tease out the yellow, blue and green of them. Gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women, non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, we've reached the end of another episode of Eat the Storms, the Poetry Podcast. My name is Damien B. Donnelly and I've been your host and producer today, whether you've tuned in on Spotify, Apple, Anchor, Google, Breaker, Podbean, Player FM, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocketcast, Castbox, Podcast Addicts or iTunes. So a huge thank you to all of you for joining us and extra thanks and praise to my fantastic guest on today's special episode. They have been Rosie Jackson and Don Gorman, Patricia M. Osborne and Maureen Cullen. Kelly Davis and Kerry Derbyshire, Amina Alial and Oz Hardwick, and of course my sidekick in poetry conversations, Eileen Dupuer. 
For details on how to find out more about these poets, how to follow them and even buy their conversational poetry pamphlets, then please head on over to www.eatthestorms.com, click on the podcast section and there you will find a listing and a blog post for every episode. This is episode 8, season 4. As we've already mentioned on the show, tomorrow is the launch day for In the Jitterfritz of Neon, myself and Eileen's poetic offering, and we will be sharing our launch show recorded two nights ago in Belfast in the company of the phenomenal Gaynor Kane, Karen Mooney and Kathy Carson on my YouTube channel tomorrow from 7.30 GMT. So keep an eye out for that. It will be advertised on all social media platforms. And in the meantime, there is a link in the blog post today for where you can purchase our collection. Next week, I'll be back again from 5pm on your preferred podcast platform with a new episode and more fantastic guests from around the world. In the meantime, this Monday and all week, I will be hosting and giving the prompt combo or the poetry prompt on Twitter. That means I will be following in the footsteps of the last three poets over the past three weeks, who on Monday morning have all shared a word poetry prompt and inspired writers to write a poem, post it on Twitter, and then the host reposts it and comments on it. So please feel free to take part. Today in Ireland, the country is opening up without restrictions aside from just wearing masks. So it feels like the right time to launch a collection that is about nights out so that we can remind you how to go out and party. Please take care of yourselves. Give each other distance if still needed and respect when deserved. I will see you all again very soon. I am Damien B. Donnelly wishing you all a wonderful week ahead and the hope that you, as always, will stay bloody poetic.